this uh, message that I'll give will go along with what we'll be doing in our adult Bible fellowships. Uh, We're in a series that's called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat, uh, by John Ortberg. And so what I share today will uh, go along with that. I'm going to try to answer a couple questions out of the text that are not answered in the uh, video presentation you'll be seeing if you are uh, in our adult Bible fellowships this morning. Let me read this passage of Scripture for us as we begin, and then I'll get into the message. Jesus said, Again it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. And see, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents, and see, I have gained two more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. And see, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I, rece- when I returned I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, as always, we ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us. We can't understand it apart from the work that you do in our lives and in our hearts to open our eyes to see the truth that it contains. And I pray, Father, that you would give clarity this morning, guide me in my words, and I pray that... What we hear today would be both in a challenge and an encouragement to all of us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. On the study that we're looking at today, uh, John Orberg tells a story about his grandmother that maybe you can relate to. Uh, I know I could. He was sharing about his grandmother. His grandparents, all of them, were from a Swedish background. Uh, Mine were mostly Norwegian, but one of my grandmothers was Swedish. And they came from the same kind of conservative and cautious stock that John describes here. 
He said when his grandmother was very young, she received a gift of some fine china. A beautiful gift at a time when uh, you did not have a lot of possessions, and so that was something very precious that you would want to take good care of. And what she did was that over the years, she added to this uh, fine collection of china by uh, different gifts that were given on birthdays or at Christmas or other occasions. And every time she got a new piece of china, she would wrap it carefully in tissue and put it in a box, and that box was stored in the attic. And it was awaiting some future day, you know, when there would be this special occasion when you could bring it all out or a special guest would come and you could have this wonderful uh, dinnerware that would be set out for that occasion. The problem was that no guest that special ever arrived. You know, if you used it, it might get scratched or broken or something might happen. And so it remained in the box. And then Florence died. Her family didn't even know about it till later when uh, his grandfather was in the attic and found this box of, you know, dinnerware or china. He didn't really know what it was, and he showed it to his kids. Well, John tells the story that his wife has now inherited that, and she uses it every occasion she can. And it's just a difference in perspective on using this. But maybe you had a relative who was like that, who when they received a new gift, they put it in the drawer or on the shelf for some future occasion. Now, it's one thing to do that with China, but it's another thing to do that with the gifts that we have been given by God to be used for His glory. He wants us to take those gifts that He has given to us and put them to good use. Not to have them sit on the shelf or be tucked away where they are not a blessing to anyone but to use those gifts regularly, consistently for His honor and glory. That's the lesson that we're going to be looking at in this parable of the talents as we see both the blessing and reward that comes to those who do this well. The parable of the talents is a story that Jesus tells about a wealthy businessman who's going away on a journey. And when he goes, he decides to take his assets and he divides those assets up among three employees. And he gives them this responsibility, this charge to take care of his property until he returns. And when he returns, he expects that there will be an accounting, that there will be some sort of return that they have made on this investment. But what we're going to see as we go through this story is that it's not a story about an anonymous businessman. It's a story about Jesus. Jesus, who's the giver of those gifts that we have received, and who also has gone away, but one day will return. And He expects of us that we will put those gifts to good use. So what can we learn from this parable of the talents? Number one, in verses 14 to 18, we see that we have a generous master. We have a generous master. Our God is a generous giver. The amount of money that was given to each of these servants in this story was very large. A talent was originally a measure of weight, about 75 pounds, and so when it was converted to currency, it's a little hard to get an exact dollar equivalent of what it would be. Uh, It's estimated that one talent could be around 15 years' wages. It's a lot of money, isn't it? You think about what you make in a year and you multiply that by 15, that's quite a large sum of money. And then you think of a person being given five talents, 
Wow, that's a huge sum of money that they were entrusted with. And so you could see why there would be some expected accounting for this. And so he gave this to his servants as he determined. He probably had a sense of who would be most faithful with that. And so he gave the larger amount to one and a lesser amount to another and the smallest amount to the third servant. Two did what the master wanted. Two took that money, used it well, and profited, made a return on it. But one, the third, simply hid it in the ground and did nothing with it. Now when you think about our Lord, what are the gifts that He has given to us? What are the talents that we have been given? Well, they would include things like natural abilities, skills, gifts that we have, maybe artisanship or craftsmanship. They are spiritual gifts that He has given to us. Gifts in the area of teaching or leadership or service or mercy or helps. There are educational opportunities that we've had to learn and develop our abilities. It's our family and the background we had and the things that we learned in our home. It's mentors who have taught us and shaped us and encouraged us along the way. It includes financial resources that we have. And then all along the way have been these opportunities to learn and grow and serve. I once made a list uh, for me of all the different Christian leaders and teachers that I've had the opportunity to hear and sit under in terms of profiting from their teaching. And I, I did this once just kind of quickly, and I came up with a list of about 60 different individuals that would be like a who's who in terms of American Christianity. And that's an awesome thing. And I think through the years with seminary and conferences and our ministry with Campus Crusade and things like Promise Keepers that would bring in well-known speakers. It's a tremendous privilege and one that I feel hugely accountable for because to whom much is given, much is required. And so God expects us to take those gifts that we have been given and then use them and multiply them for His glory. Each one of us have received unique gifts and abilities. They are given just as He determined. We don't fill out a form, you know, when we're born and say, I'd like to have these gifts or these abilities. God decides that. And then we are expected to use those. We can't uh, do anything about those gifts that we have been given other than to develop them. And all of them are important. What we have been given, though, where we can make choices, has to do with the opportunities we've been given to grow and serve. We can choose whether or not to spend time in God's Word or join a Bible study that can help us to grow in our faith. We can choose whether or not we're going to be involved in a ministry to serve or to help or to use those gifts. The choices we make every day about how we're going to spend our time and the things that we're going to do. And there really is no excuse for us not to be growing in our faith. I mean, the opportunities are tremendous for each of us. But here's the thing that amazes me most about this. It's not that we have to do these things. It's that we get to do these things. What amazes me is that our Father invites us to share in the work and in the joy of ministry. When He could do this all Himself, you know, He could just do this so much better than we do, but He invites us to share in the work and in the joy of ministry. It's like when I was a little boy and my mom would ask me to help her with making cookies. 
Uh, she would do the hard work of the preparation and getting everything together, and I got the easy job at the end of maybe putting the sprinkles on, or if she was making donuts, I'd get to roll them in the sugar and then taste them, you know, and those kind of things. And it was great. You know, she was doing the work, and I got to share in the joy and, and, and uh, eat them and taste them and benefit from it in that way. And in that same way, ministry is sometimes like that too, where God does the hard work of changing lives, and we get to enjoy the fruit. We get to be a part of the blessings that come. We have a generous master. But there is a second part to this story. There is a coming judgment, and we see that in verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. One day the master will come back to settle accounts. Again, this is not just about an anonymous businessman coming back to check on his firm. This is a story about Jesus. And he has gone away, but he is coming back again one day. And on that day, each one of us will give an account for our time and talents and treasure. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says that we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. It will be done individually. It won't be in a group where you can kind of be anonymous and in the background. No, all of us are going to stand individually before the Lord. That is a sobering thing to think about. And we are accountable to Him for the gifts we have been given, and He will ask us what we have done with the time and the treasure that we have had. He expects us to put those gifts to use in a way that is going to honor Him and that will multiply the kingdom. In some ways, this will be the ultimate job review. <laughs> you know, I, I think about that because of... Um, at this time of year, it's when we and our church also do our annual reviews with staff. Maybe in your business or place of work, you have annual reviews that are done either on you or on your employees. And uh, this year, we've had you know new staff as we've had these transitions, and so there's been a little bit of teasing that's been going on among the staff. Things are said like, oh man, you know, Rick's just brutal. I mean, when you go in there to meet with him, you know, it's just make sure you sit back a little bit, you know. And Or uh, somebody was sharing about, I even heard that he made one of our staff cry when they met with him. And I think they, they uh, tease in that way, and I think you get the point too, that they know I'm not really like that, and so that's why they feel free to kind of tease about this. There is a review and there is accountability. But the other side of the coin is that we have great staff who love what they do. That was the most common thing that I heard this year when I was meeting with our staff was just their sharing of how much they love their job. They love working in the church and with the people who are part of our congregation. What a joy that is. So here's a review in a sense that has accountability but there is also praise and affirmation for work well done. You see, there's no fear for those who do their work well. When we come before the Lord and when we have done our best to use our gifts for His honor and glory, and we have strived in our life to please Him in the things that we do, there's no fear for those who do their work well. 
The two servants in this story who had done their work well looked forward to their master's return. And when he came, they said, Master, look, here's what I've done. There was an anticipation even in their heart of looking forward to that day when they were meeting with their master. So what are the gifts that you have been given? And what would happen if you left those gifts in the box? There would be missed opportunities. There would be missed growth in your life. And there would have been missed joy from the experiences that you could have shared in. Because every time we choose to use those gifts and we ask God to work in us and work through us, we can be a blessing to others, but also in return we are blessed. And we grow and we see God at work in our life and we share in the joy of what He is doing in our world. And there's a richness that comes to our life. To leave those gifts in the box would be to miss out on all of those things. And I also want to say with this that there are no small parts when it comes to the body of Christ. I want to share an illustration and then explain what I mean by that. Chuck Yeager was one of the famous pilots in American history. And one day he was flying an F-86 Sabre over a lake in the Sierras when he decided to buzz a friend's house near the edge of the lake. You know those pilots that are the top guns kind of guy? So he decides to buzz his friend's house. And so he flies real low, does this slow roll, and suddenly he feels this aileron lock. That's one of the flaps on the plane. And says Jaeger, it was a hairy moment flying about 150 feet off the ground and upside down. A lesser pilot might have panicked with fatal results, but Jaeger let up on the G's, pushed up on the nose, and sure enough, the aileron unlocked. So he climbed up to about 15,000 feet where it was safer to try and test this again, and when he did it again, same maneuver, every time that he rolled, the problem reoccurred. Now he knew that some other pilots had died under similar circumstances. But to date, the investigators were puzzled as to the cause. No one had figured out the problem. So when Jaeger landed, he went to his superior and he gave a report. The inspectors went to work. They checked out the plane. And what they found was a bolt on the aileron cylinder that was installed upside down. When they traced that part back to find out where the flaw was coming in, they found the culprit in a North American plant. He was an older man on the assembly line who ignored instructions about how to insert that bolt because, by golly, he knew that bolts were supposed to be placed head up and not head down. And in a sad commentary, Jaeger says that nobody ever told the man how many pilots he may have killed, all because of one bolt put in the wrong direction. There are no small parts when it comes to the body of Christ either. What if someone came to visit our church on a Sunday morning and the music was excellent and the preaching was great, but on the way in and out, nobody said hello or greeted them? Or what if they came to our Sunday school classroom and they dropped off their kids and there was no teacher there that morning? 
Or if they came into the building and the building was kind of a mess in the way that it looked, or the nursery was unkempt and things weren't put in a place where you feel like this would be a good spot to drop off your baby that morning. What do you think people would remember most about that day at church? You know, a small thing could negate everything that we're trying to do on a Sunday morning. That we want our worship to be honoring to God and we want it to be attractive to all who come. We want the preaching, the teaching to be biblical and life-related and something that you can take away something from the message and apply to your life today. But in order for that to have the same kind of effectiveness that we want it to, everybody's got to use their gifts. And everybody needs to see that their part, whether it's in the nursery or Sunday school or being an usher or a greeter, it's all important. It can be a blessing to those who come each and every morning. You know, Jesus talked about that in His ministry too when He said that there are no small parts. In Matthew 10, verses 40 to 42, He talked about the importance of things like hospitality or generosity. And He said, whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he certainly will not lose his reward. Even a cup of cold water given in my name will receive a blessing. And in Matthew 25, verse 40, in the passage that follows the one we're looking at this morning, he said, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. You know, and the kinds of things that he talked about there was clothing those who needed clothes or feeding those who were hungry or visiting those who were sick or in prison. Simple acts of kindness, generosity, concern. And so the work that you do when you give to feed the hungry or through the food shelf or the ministry of the church is a blessing to others. The offering that you give to the deacons fund or when you help with a sharing shop to clothe those who need clothes or when you're involved in caring for those that are sick or hurting or discouraged, or you're involved in our prison ministry or things like that, Jesus says, I see those. And the third part of this story is that there will be a final reward. When we look at verses 20 to 30, Jesus makes this very clear. So the first two servants receive the same commendation, a well-done, good and faithful servant. Both of them were faithful to use the gifts that they had received, and both would be given greater responsibility in the future. Now that's an interesting comment, isn't it? When Jesus says to them, or the Master said, you know, you have been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your Master's happiness. Now what's that about? And this is an area of common misunderstanding. I mean, there are a lot of people in our world who think that, uh, you know, in heaven, it's just going to be either like one long church service or we're all going to be kind of floating around there in sort of this ethereal sense without bodies, you know, and on the clouds of heaven. And that's just not true. That's a common misconception about what heaven is going to be like. We were made to live upon the earth, and one day we will receive a new glorified body just like Jesus' glorified body. And one day in the future, this new heaven and new earth will be created, and the two become one. 
And we see that at the end of Revelation, for example, that there is a new heaven, a new earth coming. There's a day in the future when we will receive our resurrected bodies. And we will enter into this new kingdom at the same time. Those who die and who are with the Lord now are with Him in heaven, and there is glory, and there is peace, and there is joy. But they too are awaiting this new day that is going to come when we will be changed and we will enter into that new earth together. You know, maybe you can picture it like this. It's like a great theme park waiting to be opened and everybody gets in at the same time. And when we see that new earth, the beauty of it and the uh, gloriousness of what God has created and we are there with the Father and with the Son and we enjoy that place, there will not only be worship, but there will also be positions of responsibility and service even in that kingdom that is to come. It will be free from sin, free from toil, free from the anguish that we have experienced in this life. The point of that is this, that what we do now matters, and it will enlarge our capacity for joy and service in that day. And those who have proven themselves faithful in this life will receive responsibility in that life. And those who have demonstrated that and who have walked with God in this life are going to be blessed and rewarded in that future life. And so what we do today really does matter when it comes to the kingdom. And the opportunities that we take advantage of to grow and to serve and to use our gifts are going to be multiplied and rewarded in that future day. So what about the third servant in this story? What happened to him? And why is he cast out of the kingdom completely? He hid his master's gift in the ground. And his master called him wicked and lazy. What was his excuse? Well, he gave us his excuse. He said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. <coughs> Excuse me. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. And see, here is what belongs to you. He gave this excuse about his master being this hard man who was sort of dishonest in the way that he earned his money even. And what this man was doing, this wicked servant, is that by his words and by his deeds, he was showing that he really didn't know his master. He is cast out of the kingdom because of his words and his actions. He falsely accused his master. He accused his master, really, of being dishonest here. And it was a slur on his character. The master doesn't agree with his statement when he said in verse 24, So you knew uh, that I was a hard man. Oh, excuse me, verse 26. When he said to this wicked and lazy servant, he said, So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? <coughs> It's really a question that he is raising there. So you knew these things about me? Is that the way that you think that I am? Well then, at the very least, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. He uses his own words to judge him. 
This man has slandered his master, and he has excused his behavior, and he is judged by his own words. You see, to know God is to love Him. And to love Him is to serve Him. And to serve Him is to know Him. If we really know God, we will serve Him with all our heart. And we will do it out of love. Not because we have to, but because we want to. And we want to share in the joy of our Father in His kingdom that is going to come. That's a powerful message and a good reminder of why we do the things that we do. It's a challenge also that this series is focusing on that it is time to get out of the boat if we haven't been using our gifts in a way that honors Him. And it's time to take the next step in our life, whatever that may be. Uh, You can think about this in a number of different directions and I want to suggest some for you here. That maybe you're here today and you would say about yourself that I believe in God, but I am not sure about Jesus Christ. And I'm not sure about this Christian life and what's expected of me. The first step for you or the next step to take in your life might be to join our Christianity Explored class and find out what the Christian life is all about and who Jesus is and what He asks of us. And come to know Him in a personal way in your own life. Or maybe you are young in your faith and you've never really gotten into a Bible study before that could help you grow in your relationship with Him. Stop by the table in the foyer. Talk to the guys that are there. And in particular, consider being involved in the Discipleship Explored class that looks at those things that have helped Christians through the centuries to grow in their walk with God. And come to see how important it is to spend time with the Lord in the Word or prayer or developing those habits that will help you to grow in your faith. If you're struggling with an area of your life, whether it's your marriage or finances or issues related to parenting, there are opportunities for you to grow. And the very next step for you might be to work on that specific area of your life and to say, Lord, I need help here. What is it that I could be doing? But maybe you're looking for an opportunity to serve. And there are plenty of places that you can do that in the body of Christ. And the question would really be, what would you like to do? And where could you get involved? And then also, there are opportunities or times when we may think of others that we would like to invite to church. Or maybe we'd like to introduce a friend to Christ. We're not sure where they are. And maybe we're not as confident ourselves in sharing the gospel. And that's why we do things like bringing in somebody like Toby Travis who can share the good news of Jesus Christ in a very unique and powerful way. And so maybe the next step for you would be to take a step of faith and say, you know what, I have some friends that I'd like to invite to come with me and I'm going to pick up the tickets and use that as an opportunity to introduce them to Christ. There are all kinds of ways that we could apply this message. And I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit in your own life to say, Lord, what is it? that you would want me to do. Don't put it off. Don't leave the gift in the box. But take it out and start today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for how practical your word is and how it speaks to our needs and our struggles. It encourages and it challenges us. 
And I pray that each of us would set as our aim that desire to please You in all things so that one day, Lord, there would be nothing better in our life than to hear You say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Father, I pray that that would be true of us. Whatever our gifts and talents and resources are that we have been given, that we would choose to put You first in our life and honor You in the things that we say and do. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.